Well, good morning. Happy Pentecost Sunday. So um, I'm honored to be here this morning for so many reasons. First of all, I think it's a big deal that you would have me here on Pentecost Sunday because people don't make a big enough deal sometimes about Pentecost Sunday. I feel like this is like, this is the kind of the Super Bowl for, for Christians. This is the birthday of the church. So thank you for trusting me enough to be here. Um, I tell you, and I'm really, um, I'm not just, well, first of all, this is my first time in this part of Arkansas, and it's beautiful. I love it. I'm having such a good time. Um, if, As you can tell, I'm not from around here. What you hear when I talk is North Carolina. I was in North Carolina all my life until 2015. Now I live in Oklahoma. So y'all pray for me. Um, I know people in Arkansas like to make fun of us in Oklahoma, and I understand that. I have no pushback. I understand. Um, okay, great. I appreciate that. Okay, I'm glad to have some other people who, who understand Oklahoma. A um, couple things I'll say out of the gate before I uh, dive in too deep. Um, I already really love your church. I already really love this community. We had such a special time last night. I'll say more about that in a few minutes. But um, I really feel like I'm with my people. I really feel like I'm with my kind of people today. And I've never, would I say that, of course, whether it's like elitist or weird or, but you know, I mean, I kind of believe in running the half-court offense wherever I go. I am who I am. But you don't always feel like you're with your people. And the last few weeks, um, uh, speaking for my friend Brian Zond and uh, the church I really love in New Orleans and being here, it's like, it just feels really special because new book is coming out on Tuesday, a lot's happening. And it's been really great. That's just been, a, it just so happens to be that I'm getting to be places where I'm like, oh, these are my people. I actually feel at home here. I actually feel like I belong in these places. And that's a, that's a great feeling. So I'm going to say, I'll say more about that in a few minutes. Um, I'm not the sort of person that does big plugs for things. I'm not good at them. I'm not a salesperson. I'm um, genuine in a way that kind of sabotages anything like that. But I will tell you, um, the new book, The Road Away from God, uh, yeah, so it doesn't come out to the world until Tuesday. I got some copies early, which I'm really excited about. Um, this book's been a a real labor of love. It's it's taken forever, um, but I really believe in it. It's funny seeing, because um, I, I didn't actually, you guys were gracious to get Prototype and How to Survive a Shipwreck here. I didn't bring those with me. It's funny seeing them out together because in the way that, and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to make too much of this. I just tend to believe that God is always writing a bigger story of our lives than any of us intend to. So it's been very weird to me that my first book, Prototype, is very much this whole it's very much like an innocence, get back to the wonder and the childlikeness kind of book. Shipwreck is very much a death, descent, grief, loss, trauma book. And then this very much feels like a resurrection book. Um, I didn't intend it to be that way. I kind of feel like that's just how it works, that the cycles of death and resurrection are always just working out in our lives. And um, so anyway, so yeah, it's, it's my resurrection book. And um, it's not available anywhere else yet. So I'm happy to, to have that here. Um, tell you what, if you have your Bibles and or electronic devices, however you do it is fine. Um, I'm going to go to Luke chapter 24. I'm going to tie this in to what's happening on Pentecost Sunday and uh, the, even the, the reading from Acts. But I do want to go to, to Luke 24 since Pastor Zach graciously said I could kind of do what I wanted today. Have fun. Um which I fully intend to do. And actually, just before we jump into that, if you don't mind, um, for my benefit as much as anything, let's just uh, 
pray just one more time. God, I just thank you for the gift of this community. What a, what a beautiful community that you have breathed upon here. And I do feel the breath of your spirit among these, your people. I'm honored to be with them. I'm honored to feel like we're on the same kind of journey together. I'm thankful for just just genuinely feeling connected to you through that worship today. Already you are clearly present among us. I just ask now, Spirit of God, holy breath, breath of God, that you would, in fact, not only fill our lungs now, but that you would awaken our minds and our hearts, that we would be able to see things that we could could only see if you show them to us, if you reveal them to us. Um, We pray for nothing less than a revelation of, of Jesus in our midst today. Reveal yourself, make yourself known to us in ways that are new. Uh, we just want to be open to however you want to work in our midst. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so I'll go to Luke 24 in just a second. But if you let me just talk for a minute. This is, um, this is an interesting time. I... I'm doing a little more speaking right now out than I normally do, and I'm having a lot of fun. One of the things that's fun about it is I never really know what I'm doing. My friend Joel said to me last week, because he's heard the little talks I've been giving, and he said, because uh, ostensibly the idea is it's supposed to be a little like book tour, and he said, you're the only person I know who would go on a book tour and feel the need to make every talk into something entirely different, which is, which is true. That's not normally kind of what you do. The idea, I think, is that you, you know, can come up with something that's connected to the book and do your thing. Each of these have been entirely different. And part of what I love about the text that we're going to go to, and uh, I may be prone to hyperbole, but I really do believe this, this whole Emmaus Road story, which is really the basis for this book, right now this story for me just contains everything. I feel like it contains every story. Uh, all the major stories of scripture, I feel like the Garden of Eden, Innocence Lost, and Regain, like I, I see everything in it. And part of what's wild right now is I feel like every place that I go, everything that I do, I just, I see something new in it every time. And including things that, I don't mean like something else from my book every time. I see, every time the story, I'm like, oh, good grief, there's, there's more in this text. So today is one of those days again where I'm like, it's Pentecost Sunday, uh, so I want to honor that and this idea of the Holy Spirit's given to the church. But as I'm kind of living in this story from, uh, from Luke's gospel right now, I'm kind of amazed at the stuff that I'm seeing in it that's uh, new and fresh all over again and that feels uh, tailored in ways that are particular all over again. Uh, so I'm, I'm sorry this is a lot of preface, but work with me. Um, so today... The staff, by the way, nobody asked me to do this. I hope I'm not over, overreaching uh, with anything. Of course, feel free to correct or steer or edit or anything. But here's part of what I love about you guys already. I don't just go places because, one, I feel so genuinely grateful to be anywhere. And um, it's, it's humbling, uh, sincerely. But I never go anywhere and think like, oh, well, I, well, here's here's why I'm supposed to be here, like or like I kind of like in a way that feels it's not like pretentious or something, but I really in kind of a cool way, um, as we're talking last night and just learning more of the story of the church and just a little bit of history, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, and I'm, 
I think I think I, I think I'm the right person to be here. I think it makes sense. I think I'm the right person to be here. And part of the reason that um, I think I'm the right person to be here is in ways that I don't have time to go into. If the great kind of critique, I feel like that either sometimes I've heard this externally, sometimes people have said this to me outright, usually well-intentioned. It's certainly the voice that's in here a lot. But the thing I feel like I always deal with, um, push back out there and again, sometimes in here, is some version of, why do you always insist on having to do this the hard way? Why do you always, do you not understand that there are easier ways of doing this. I think a lot of people even uh, who care about me have, have really like think I don't understand that there are easier ways of doing the things that I do. Don't you know that if you didn't have to say it quite that way, that things would have gone a little bit smoother? I actually am aware that if I wouldn't have said it quite that way, <laughs> that things would have gone a little bit smoother. I am very aware. And I love it partly because I feel like sometimes that comes with the sense of almost like, well, wouldn't you like to have a life that's like a little bit more, I don't know, where things are just like a little bit more laid back and things just kind of roll? Yes. Who would not like to have that kind of existence? Like who doesn't want? less anxiety, less stress, less pressure, less resistance. I absolutely would like that kind of life. I absolutely would, you know, in the abstract, would, would choose that. That's what I prefer. And yet what I found repeatedly over and over again, and I'm, I really, I mean this in the least self-referential way possible because I'm not a noble person. I'm a very flawed, deeply, deeply flawed, broken human being. So I, I, nothing has ever been like noble. But what I have found is in my clumsy attempts of following Jesus, if you're going to attempt to follow Jesus at all, then I feel like what happens is that more often than not, you just turn out, you just end up doing things the hard way. Not because you're setting out to do it the hard way. Not because you're trying to make it hard. It's just how it goes. I always refer to myself as a hillbilly Pentecostal because I grew up in the South, kind of a Southern sweat and sawdust kind of Pentecostalism. My dad's a minister. My grandfather was a minister. It's where I come from. And how many sermons have I heard in my life about the narrow way, the narrow way of Jesus? It's a narrow way. And I mean, I heard a lot of talk about the narrow way. Jesus does say that, that, you know, that his way, his path is narrow as opposed to the broad path that leads to destruction. Fun fact about this, and I and, and I wish that people would be. I wish people would be more fundamentalist about that text. I wish they would be more literal than they are about that scripture, because when you look, especially not, I'm not maybe not the whole world, depends how you look at it. Definitely the Western world, certainly our world, like in America. If you look at like our world now, let's let's just not be unclear. The vast majority of people in our world absolutely are Christians at least in some kind of nominal way, they certainly are the people that have power and influence overwhelmingly. Now, that may not be the whole world, and there are plenty of parts of the world where Christians are deeply persecuted for what they believe in. In our world, Christians are the people who absolutely hold the cards, have like power and privilege. So just, I'm really bad at math, but I'm pretty certain that if the vast majority of people who have the wealth, power, privilege, and like are like pulling the reins are actually people of faith like in this way, 
that's probably not the narrow way. Because this whole notion of like, you know, Christians, like where we are, like are just so persecuted, whatever. It's all made up. That's all made up. I'm aware it's on Facebook. It's all made up. This is quite a way to get right in the sermon. It's just made up. It's people, it's that, that can't be the narrow way. Now, then of course, the way we got it was, I'm a long way from the Emmaus Road, but maybe I'm not. Um, the, the way we got it, of course, is that the narrow way of Jesus was holiness. And I actually don't like to make fun of any of that because I got really wonderful things from the world that I grew up in. Colorful people, lots of experiences that were fantastic. But it was kind of the idea of moralistic righteousness. You know, you know, don't, don't dip, don't chew, don't go to the movies, don't run around with women, like whatever, you know, whatever it might be. Well, really more strict than that. In my earliest days, it was still kind of women don't wear makeup and jewelry and that kind of stuff. So very, like very strict. The truth, though, is moralistic, those kind of things aren't really all that hard to pull off either. But I think there is a narrow way. And I think what the narrow way often looks like is, well, it looks, well, I know a few things about it. I think it looks like self-sacrifice. I think it often does look like choosing a route that is going to feel more difficult, that is going to feel smaller, that's going to feel like instead of trying to pull the levers that are going to go for like obvious success, um, it's something way more subversive than that. And it's weird because I'm not, I never want to say anything that like sets Christians up against Christians. I don't think that's healthy. Uh, or again, would never want that to sound elite. But it does feel like sometimes, even among Christians, like the narrow way is like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> well, I found, I thought about this a lot being with my friend Brian a few weeks ago. When I look at the kind of journey their church has gone on over the years, they have paid a deep cost for attempting to be faithful to Jesus attempting to be faithful to what they feel like God has called them to do at each step of the journey has, has cost them a lot. So I, I'm, I, I'm saying all this, uh, again, only really just knowing kind of a skeleton, but I, kinda, I, I know this much, right? So knowing that um, this is a community that during COVID, attempting to be faithful and loving neighbors well or whatever and, and not not meeting. So a lot of momentum in one way kind of gets lost during that. And so that the church kind of changes form in one way and then coming back together and doing a thing. And now there is this other shift. There's this other transition. And what micro churches, what is that? Now, see, I get so excited about this, like my head's about to explode because I so believe this kind of movement is the future of the church, these kinds of communities. But I can also see where, because I feel like this is the kind of thing I've heard so many times in my life, well, when you've been through that much transition and all that transition has been this difficult, why on earth would you sign up for more of that? You know, I, um, I feel like for years now, the Holy Spirit keeps pushing me towards in the general direction of this word about things being shaken. And I'm always going around talking about things being shaken up. And it's so funny because all I crave is stability. All I want is stability. So every time I say it, I'm always like, oh. you know, just to be clear, I'm not really into this. I just think it's what's happening. Now, if you ask me what I want, I'm like, I'm like, I'm ready for it. The Lord says it is going to be a season of stability, and it's time to put down roots, and it's time to be more comfortable for a season. Yea, thus saith the Lord. That's the kind of word I want to hear. 
I don't want to hear any more like shaking. I don't want more. Tra- I'm, I'm done with that. I'm done with that. I've had enough shaking and transition. I'm ready for some rest. But inevitably, it just doesn't seem like <laughs> that's what the Holy Spirit is actually doing. Well, and um, goodness, I can't believe I've gone this long without getting to the, to the scripture. But thank you for letting, giving me this, uh, this liberty. Even Pentecost Sunday, right? And I, I, I don't, I'm not just riffing here. I mean, this is what Pentecost Sunday is about. Before, I mean, Pentecost Sunday, we always think about, well, Jesus has preached to the nations and everybody hears God in their own language. Isn't that beautiful? Like it's this kumbaya moment that's just, oh, it's unity. Well, sort of, but you know it's not unity at first. At first, it's experienced as disruption. King James language is, which I actually still like there, is that it's a violent rushing wind. The, the, the coming of the Spirit is disruptive, and the people around it don't immediately hear all this and say like, boy, that's neat. How can we be part of this new God movement? No, they're like, these people are actually, they're actually drunk. I mean, it's just, they're outraged. The crowd is, is completely freaked out. Everybody experiences, when the Holy Spirit comes, people experience that as bewilderment long before they experience it as clarity or joy or peace or any of these things. First, it's just, what on earth is happening to us? And I think that's how it is when the Holy Spirit comes. It's always, it's, it's always disruption, disruption first. It always feels like violence first. Not violence as in like hurting people violence. Violence is in disorientation. Uh, we feel uprooted. So I'm, I'm going to this story, in a, and I'm going to skip through some of the beats that actually are really, really important to me that I go into more like in the book because I'm, I'm feeling pulled in a very particular way. This is, again, Luke 24. It's a story of these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Just know I'm skipping a lot of my favorite stuff right here, but I'm going to move quickly. Verse 13, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, what it means when they're talking about all these things that happened, they're talking about how their best friend, prophet, rabbi, messiah, um, that they had believed and hoped in Jesus of Nazareth had been tortured and killed. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you, while you walk along? And they stood still looking sad. And I've always loved this. I put it different ways, different times. The way I, I would say it today is that um, I've used different comedy parallels. The way I'm going to say it today is I think this is like the great Monty Python moment of the New Testament. Because, I mean, again, I don't think I'm reading into a thing. It just, it's just there. It is that funny. They're literally talking about the torture and crucifixion of Jesus. That Jesus who has actual holes in his body and all of the scars and all the things is walking alongside them. And hilariously, Cleopas says, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? Saying to the person who's been tortured and crucified, are you the only person who doesn't know that Jesus was tortured and crucified? And Jesus, with superior comic timing, responds with, what things? 
something happened? Please fill me in. Tell me more. I absolutely, I've always loved this. Uh, I've always loved this passage. They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priest and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides this, it is now the third day since these things took place. So there's really two things I want to lean into here this morning that just feel right. One is this little phrase that until a year or two ago I'd never thought about before. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. I never thought about it because it seems like just such a drive-by. Well, we hoped that he was. First of all, it's a heartbreaking phrase, we had hoped. Because to say we had hoped is a way of saying we don't have hope now. We used to hope but we don't anymore. We used to believe. We had believed. We had hope. Now we don't, now there's no hope. But I think it's so interesting that they said we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel because the obvious implications are we thought that Jesus was going to be the Messiah in a certain way, as in restore Israel under Roman occupation and oppression, establish Israel to a place of former glory, get the bad guys, like all that. Now Jesus has been killed, which means he clearly can't be the Messiah. We were obviously wrong, and therefore Jesus must not be the one who is going to redeem Israel. Now, on the side of the story, since we know what they don't know yet, that Jesus is risen from the dead, I feel like it can seem like a real slam dunk. Well, yeah, but they were wrong because they were sad. Of course Jesus is the one to redeem Israel. Woo! Because Jesus redeems everybody. But I think it's actually a really interesting question. Does Jesus redeem Israel? Because we look at it in one way and we say, like, well, yeah. I mean, I think the Sunday school answer is yes, you know, because Jesus redeems everybody. Sure. But keep in mind now it's been a couple thousand years, and still Israel has not had the kind of redemption they thought they were going to have. That still hasn't happened yet. And I know some people have these ideas about the second coming or this other. It still hasn't happened the way people were looking for. I mean, it's, that's like that's kind of never happened. Here's my, here's my sense. I think what's going on here, and I think this is true within any kind of a faith system. So the hope that these disciples start with, because they are good Hebrew people, the hope that they start with is big, widescreen hope. They start with that giant covenant promise that God gave to Abraham, which is, hey, Abraham, I'm going to give you this great name. I'm giving you a nation. I'm going to give you this people. And what ultimately is the promise to Abraham? That through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That that was the promise. I mean, that that is huge, epic, monumental. All, that's literally, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That was the hope that carries the whole Hebrew story along. Now, I'm convinced that what happens for these disciples, as it happens for us, as it happens to anybody when we're part of a thing for a long time, and we live some life, and we have disappointment, and we have failure, and we have some death, and all this kind of thing, is that that, giant, that hope over time, especially as um, maybe even there is some kind of uh, persecution, maybe there is some kind of oppression, that story gets, starts to get smaller, 
Trevor, the hope really becomes that God will eventually redeem me and mine, which I feel like is kind of the story of American Christianity right now. It's the people who are terribly preoccupied with their own salvation. (laughs) Well, whole thing's going to hell in a handbasket, but thank God me and my family are saved. We have Jesus. This kind of like so long as we're on the, on the gospel ship here, then everything's fine. But I think what happens for these disciples is the same thing that has to happen for many of us. It's only having their hearts broken in this way that is going to send them on this road that ultimately will break them open to a hope that's much larger than the hope they ever had before. That's the path they're actually going to have to walk. I don't even know if I fully understand how this works, but I believe it is how it works. That it is actually only through despair, disillusionment, pain, suffering in some way that opens us up to to a bigger kind of hope. It's a counterintuitive thing, really, because I think sometimes people can, like, be part of a bigger thing, but that has a smaller hope. <laughs> and then you go down this path, though, of, of desolation and despair, and, you, and it, like, it, it beats you down and it breaks you open, and it becomes something more honest and more authentic. And I think that's actually what breaks us open into the hope of something much larger. Oh, oh, oh. You had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel? Well, good news and bad news, disciples, depending on how you're looking at it. Jesus did come to redeem Israel. But Jesus also came to redeem the Romans that you hate. Jesus did come to redeem the oppressed. But he also came to redeem the oppressor. Jesus did come to save your family. Jesus also came for the people who are persecuting your family. It's, it's a much bigger story that God's going to break them open to. But the only way they can do that is taking them down this road of which is full of pain, which is full of disillusionment, which is full of despair. All that has to happen first. And in fact, that's in the other part of this I want to get to quickly. And I am moving faster now. We had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. And I don't think that's... Harsh. I think it's more, read that more playfully. How foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe all the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things? Now, I know there are a couple different ways of looking at that. We do have a handful of passages, I mean, Isaiah 53 being the most famous and most conspicuous, that would seem to prophesy about the crucifixion of Jesus in a very particular way. And I think it does. I love Isaiah 53. You know, Jesus is the one who's wounded for our transgressions. Um, All of that, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. 
But my sense, when Jesus even makes this kind of offhand remark about all that the prophets have spoken, is I think there's a larger idea here too. Yes, I think as Jesus begins to explain about himself, you know, through the Hebrew scriptures, I think there's probably a connotation there of what we think of as like messianic prophecies. Sure. But I feel like there's another part to this. When he talks about all the prophets have spoken, I mean, have you read the prophets lately? One of the things that I find consistent to be about the prophets, and you know, sometimes I really need this in my life, I feel like what the prophets are always doing, what the prophets always remind us of, is that the path, the path to God, um, the path to, well, almost, almost anywhere, good, the, path are all, the prophets are always reminding us that there is going to be suffering. Was it not necessary that the Messiah would suffer these things? I don't think the idea there is so much that Jesus was going to have to suffer in a particular, like, scripted way. I think it's much more like what the prophets were trying to tell us all along is that the way for the Messiah, which, however we feel about this, is also the, is also the way for us. Um, and look, I'm not, I am not about, uh, this, this is not the point of the sermon, I don't believe in like trying to find suffering. What a stupid idea. Please don't try to look for suffering. What, you don't have to though, right? You don't have to. You don't need to. All this, I used to hear these sermons growing up about like take up your cross to follow Jesus and it was built this climatic, like what cross are you going to take? And it'd be like, oh, like, like here's the one thing that I'm going to give up. I'm just old enough now, y'all, to know your cross is going to find you. You don't have to pick it out. Thank you for that, amen. I, I, I could use about four more because that, that, if I've ever said anything truthful in my life, it's that. You don't have to go picking out your cross. Oh, you, 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 you're going to get one. Everybody gets one. Very rarely would be something that you choose. That health crisis, that broken relationship, that situation, oh, that's not the thing you should, you, you know, you'll get a chance to carry it for Jesus as a follower of Jesus. You don't even have to so much have to, have to pick up this idea of like give up something random. I gave up chocolate. Cool. Not your cross. I love chocolate too, but I wish I could just give up chocolate and and call it a day. That'd be great. But I don't think it's like that. Like, you don't have to choose, you, you know, it rarely, is it, um, rarely is it something that you have to choose. Everybody is going to suffer. And I think what we really want, and, and to be clear, it's what I really want. I still want it. There's part of me really wants it. There's a part of me that really wants somebody in a suit and tie, and it's great to wear a suit and tie to church. I, I wear suits and ties sometimes. I want somebody to speak to, from God for me and tell me, so long as you obey God and you pay your tithes and you tip your waiters and waitresses and you're nice, your life is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Great things are going to happen to you. Nothing bad. Nothing. You are, because of your commitment to God, you are going to be exponentially less likely to have cancer or to have car accidents because you're going to be a follower of Jesus, and you're going to live in a bubble. What happens, because some of us have been to those churches and prayed that prayer, and we're like, man, this is awesome. Well, I'm signing up for that and did that. Oh, man. Wish they'd have given us the fine print on that one. 
Because inevitably, ooh, even the people who follow Jesus most devoutly and do all the right things and go, you do a 40-day fast every year and you pay your tithes 20% and you give to the missionaries and all that kind of stuff does not mean that you're never going to have cancer. It does not mean that you're never going to get into a car accident. It does not mean that you might not go through divorce. Like whatever thing, like these things actually still happen. Like we're always desperately wanting somebody to tell us that we're not going to have to suffer. And I feel like part of what's happening here, I promise I'm almost done, is that Jesus is actually saying, do you not see, do you not see, this is how, this is all along, this is how it's going to have to be. Messiah was going to have to suffer in the way that we're going to have to suffer. And that's really what I was trying to, where I was trying to bring that around. The one who died on the cross for us, and I do believe that. I do believe there's a very a real way that Jesus dies on the cross for us. He just also says, that we have to take up our crosses and follow him, which is a way of saying that redemption for us, the path to life for us, abundance, flourishing, all the things, is going to look for us like it did for Jesus, which means we also are going to have to walk the path of suffering. We're also going to have to walk the path of grief and, you know, the descent and ashes and all things. It's also going to be the same for us. Now, Especially on Pentecost Sunday, I just feel like the Grinch who stole Christmas because it feels like this is what you have to bring to people. Well, that's thank you for that encouraging word. But weirdly enough, I mean it as a deeply encouraging word. Because you know what I see happening here is I see a community that is embracing that long path that does go the route of suffering, of transition, of disruption, that in my experience has been, it's how the Holy Spirit does it. And I really feel like this morning that I just need to affirm that and to bless that. Everything in me right now, everything I'm seeing right now, just is just in my life, just screams. This is just what I see God doing everywhere. People going the path that seems a little longer, a little harder. But yes, this is the Jesus way. This path of deeper community, of deeper discipleship, um, in all the ways that it disrupts us. Oh, because see, that's the thing, right? Why, why would we do any of that? Well, yeah, because to show that, we're, that we re, we're really willing to suffer for Jesus, because we want to be martyrs. I don't care about being a martyr. Hebrew says even the reason that Jesus endured the suffering of the cross was for the joy that was set before him. No, see, that's the thing, is that the path of suffering is always the path that goes to resurrection. And this is the reason why, because look, everything in my life right now has a radically different form than anything I ever could have anticipated. Everything has a different form. Any visions I ever had, like none, none of them came true the way that I thought. But now I have all these things that I could, have, could not have anticipated. I remember several years ago when a person gave me, because I believe in this kind of stuff, person, I really do, a man who I trust, I admire. He's been actually a significant elder kind of figure in the charismatic world. And late one night, about 2.30 in the morning, by a pool outside, he started praying in tongues over me and gave me this powerful word, part of which was about me being a father which hit kind of a deep place because I'm not a father biologically. I don't have kids. And I thought, 
well, that's a beautiful word. That's wonderful. But I remember struggling a little bit because I'm like, oh, I mean, that'd be cool, but I'm kind of not that. Well, now, y'all, as a person who is um, newly married to a, someone who has four kids, I am. But my idea of prophecy being fulfilled would not have been that those four kids already exist and live in the world. See, I wouldn't have thought of that. And I just consistently see these days, just all these ways that God by the Spirit, that's, that's what it looks like. Resurrection always is God coming in a form that we don't recognize. And we freak out because we're expecting resurrection to take a certain kind of form whether it is in our own individual lives, as a community, as a church, like whatever, we think resurrection needs to look in a certain way. And God does not necessarily share those ideas. It's why I get so excited when people are willing to embrace these difficult kinds of transitions and shifts because I think it opens us up to the possibility of resurrection in a form that we wouldn't have been able to recognize before. And that's the thing for me that's deeply, deeply exciting. Where I really want to, where I'm landing this, I have no idea how long I've talked. I'm sorry about that. Okay, I'm okay? Okay, good. Because I do want this to be sort of, and I'm not doing some kind of altar invitation or something. I do want there to be a very, a sense of personal reflection and kind of invitation here. Because, you know, part of what's so, um, part of what's so wonderful about this text is that I, I can't, I can't, I, mean, I think about this all the time right now. It's almost, I'm kind of obsessed with it. It's like actually all I think about in this moment. The way that Jesus has already risen from the dead. The disciples just don't know it. And then all of a sudden, I'm not even going to read that far. It seems a little sad. But, you know, they're about to, off the road, they're about to have a meal with Jesus in the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. They're like, oh, they have this moment of recognition. Oh, it's him. This is him. Which, by the way, I love how that goes because then the expectation is, well, now Jesus is here. The party can really start. What cool things can we do now with resurrected Jesus? Poof, he's gone. <laughs> I have never heard, as a lifelong Pentecostal Christian, I have never heard a Pentecostal charismatic sermon in my life about that passage. <laughs> and there's a reason people don't talk about it. Because people always talk about next levels. New levels, new devils. You got lights like you're not like to a new another level on a video game, and now there are going to be new challenges, and then you'll conquer those, and you'll get to the next level, and then the next level. When in reality, what actually happens is we have these, and I believe in them, really powerful experiences of God that are amazing, and it does not last for 15 weeks. Instead, after the most epic experience of God that you've ever had, the next day may be the worst day you've ever had in all your life. And you don't feel anything for 16 weeks. I'm just preaching the gospel right here. They literally, like, like the moment they recognize him, and then they reach out, like you reach out to hug him, and he's gone. That's just the nature of the spiritual life. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, it's like not if you, like, pray more. Or like, what, it's not how it works. Like, it's just the nature of the spiritual life. That's just bonus content. But the point, really the point, though, for me right now, the thing I, can't, I just can't be on, Jesus has already risen, but their eyes weren't open to see it yet. I find that to be so revolutionary because I still feel like I live most of my life always waiting for something else to happen. Aren't, aren't you mostly waiting for something else to happen? It has been like this my whole life. I remember when I was, I don't know, 
12, 13, man, when I turn 16 and I get my license, it's going to be awesome. The, everything's going to be amazing. When I get 16, man, when I'm 18 and I graduate from high school, finally. Uh, it comes and goes. Man, when I graduate from college, finally. When I get married, finally. If I ever get that job, finally. When is there ever a point in your life, you know? And even now, I think, like, I, there's still these things. I get in that mode. If, if, one of, if just this opportunity would open up, mm, man, one of these days, one of these books is going to r- run off. Maybe Oprah will talk about it or somebody. I don't know. It'll sell like the purpose-driven life. And then I will sign like a 20-book deal. And boy, it will be amazing. There's always something that's like, man, if that just happened. But what is to be so great? And what I love about this story is that there's this invitation for us of like, hey, what if, what if the resurrection has already happened? And what we need is not some other miracle, but there's just this change of perspective where suddenly our eyes are open. Oh, whoa, 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 okay. This is resurrections. Oh, this has already happened. Oh, we're in the middle of the resurrection right now. This, this, this is the good part. So then instead of sitting around waiting to see if something cool is going to happen or hoping that it's going to happen, I guess to be like, oh, this is so good. I thought that, I literally thought that last night at dinner as I thought, I'm with really sincere, earnest, cool people talking about God and life. And it's just feeling like, ah, oh, this is like, I love this. I love this. I, I'm, in, I'm in some place in Arkansas I've never been before at Fish City Grill. This is great. This is great. You know, it was like so, it was like so beautiful. And I just, but I feel like so often, right, is that when we have our expectations on what resurrection is supposed to look like, we have a certain form it's supposed to be. And it's not, you know, I'm, I, I, think that you're, I think that your town is lovely, but I think wherever you are, like you may be like, your idea of resurrection may not be being here at all. Well, resurrection, resurrection would be being in the Caribbean, right? With some, I don't know or like on a cruise ship somewhere, right? A resurrection always looks something different, like looks like something very different than the life you have right now. And I think it's such a beautiful invitation to open up our eyes and be able to see, oh, like what if resurrection's happening already? It's already happened. We just haven't had this shift in perspective yet to see it. Anyway, I've said a lot of things. My invitation to you um, this morning, though, and I do feel like this is very much an invitation of the Spirit, is not to find new ways to suffer, you don't need any of that. You have, you have, it's covered. It's covered. You've got plenty. Everybody's already qualified. And I don't mean this cynically. If you, don't have, if you don't have enough suffering, don't worry. Life is going to take care of that. You just hang on for a little bit longer because like this, I sound so crusty right now. I don't mean to. I'm not a cynical person. I'm actually dispositionally a very joyful person. This is how I think about it. It's like um, people are like, oh, well, I don't think I've ever really suffered. Be like, yeah, oh, you just haven't lived long enough. You just, you just keep going. <laughs> Life will take care of that. But you've, you've got enough suffering. But this invitation to be able to see that from a different perspective, that this isn't about, you know, did I make the wrong choice or the right choice? What if I made this turn instead of that turn? Like, et cetera, et cetera. No, no, like, this is the path. This is the necessary path that leads to resurrection. I want to pray for you. So, God, I just want to ask this morning for our eyes to be opened to be able to see the ways that resurrection has happened and is already happening uh, in a form that we may just yet not have recognized. And I want to pray specifically this morning. Um, Man, that just feels 
like that's coming from a deep place right now. <laughs> I just have this specific sense. I'm, I know we're praying, but I'm kind of talking to you too. Um, I just have this really specific sense this morning of, you know, we think about how, and I know sometimes we can be almost silly about the way we talk about the cross and reduce its meaning. But the cross does look so different to us now because we are resurrection people, because we believe in the resurrection, the cross that was a symbol of such shame for us, you know, it's, does it, it's not surrounded by shame. It's actually, it's, it's a symbol of victory. And I just really feel like the Holy Spirit with the same way would want to just nudge some of you to be able to look at to be able to look at your life right now, the exact same situations, the exact same stories, all the pain, all the heartache, all the things that have happened, but to see it from a different point of view. And the same way that we don't look at the cross the same way now because of the resurrection, to be able to see, yes, there has been pain. Yes, there's been all kind of discomfort. Yes, there's been all kinds of um, lots of things that you wouldn't have necessarily chosen. But to see it from the point of resurrection, here you are in the presence of God, knowing that you are God's beloved in the company of other people who love you. The Holy Spirit is with us, and we are anticipating the day that God will make all of these things right. But even in the meantime now, the way that we're tasting resurrection, I just pray, God, that you would give your people a revelation this morning to be able to see these individual crosses from the point of view of resurrection, long stretches of depression and despair and anguish and all these things that felt like random twists and turns that felt like they weren't going anywhere at all. But instead, they've led to being here now with you, with each other. Give us the grace to be able to see resurrection in this moment that we're in. And finally, I pray on this Pentecost Sunday for the breath of your spirit to be poured out freshly on these, your people, that they would be full of the spirit, they would be full of your power, they would be full of your love, they would be full of your courage, and even the same way that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit over and into the disciples, we ask that you would breathe your spirit into us all over again now, um, breathing renewal, breathing courage, uh, breathing um, uh, just where we're able to, to feel gratitude again and life again and hope again. So ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.